for class. We'll be in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Tried to put together a pretty picture for everybody today with all the snow that we've had. Little flowers. Brighten your day hopefully a little bit. At least while you're still awake for the next five minutes and then I kid, I've never had anybody fall asleep in any of my services. Uh, we had a, uh, a man used to sit on the front row in Indiana. What was his name? Steve? Steve. And uh, Steve came, uh, a family in the church brought him, uh, special needs, and uh, a huge encouragement. He was an edifier. He, uh, uh, he just was always very joyful but in every single sunday morning i mean head cocked all the way back snoring uh didn't matter didn't matter who was preaching uh there he was but he was there uh and that's what i appreciate i appreciate when you're able to be here that you're here and snore all you want uh, as long as you're here uh today i want us to look at a thought uh that he is enough uh, speaking of God, of course, uh, in Colossians, it's funny, you know, I always, I struggle in between sermon series, we did it through Philippians, and we came into the new year and had Vision Sunday and those kinds of things, and February I have a series planned, but uh, we're, you know, this week and next week out still, uh, so trying to figure out where I want to go, and in between, uh, in between those sermon series is always hard for me, but uh, I was reading in Colossians, and this passage uh, just, I thought, was really good. So prayed on it and uh, put together a, a message here. And I pray that today it will be an encouragement to us. Let's look starting in verse number 6. Colossians 2 and verse number 6. It says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk, in, uh, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which, he, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them uh, in it. Excuse me. Uh, so I want to look at this thought today that Christ is enough. I've got five things for you this morning, and then we'll finally get to that potluck we've been trying to do for several weeks now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for letting us come. Uh, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that today you would help us. I pray that as I speak on these verses... Lord, I pray that I would do it correctly. I pray that I would do it in a way that is clear for understanding. 
And God, I pray that you would clear our hearts and minds this morning over the next several minutes. And we can take a little time to focus in on your word. And God, I pray that you would truly speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd clear my mind and my heart this morning. Lord, I pray that you would uh, uh, just give us all a, an opportunity to, uh, to pay attention this morning. Lord, I thank you for technology. I'm thankful for those that are joining us today uh, via technology. I pray that um, the, uh, the message would clearly go throughout uh, so that it can be heard. Lord, we just pray for your help now in these next several minutes. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We look at this verse or these passages of verses, and we see kind of talking about the Christ being the fullness of God, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But we see here the understanding for Christians, a, a, a thought for Christians, a reminder for Christians that God is enough in our life. That no matter what happens, that no matter the circumstance, no matter the trial, no matter the hardship, no matter the blessings, no matter whatever it is, God is enough in our life. In, uh, in the flesh, in humanity, we are always encouraged to seek more. We're always encouraged to strive for more, to do more, to be better, to improve, all these kinds of things. And we should, I'm not saying we should not. But it seems like in the workplace, we're always working for more, a promotion, a raise, a, a seniority, whatever it may be. Uh, and we're always striving for something else because what we have is not enough. But in the spiritual world, in the Christianity, in our relationship with God, we should still be striving for maturity, for growth. But we have to understand that our dependence in God, that God is enough for us. That we don't need the world. We don't need our job in the spiritual sense. We don't need... Um, the other things that the world can offer us because we have God, and God is enough. And I want us to see, first of all, this morning, where it starts. Where it starts, and we see it in verse number 6, where it says right there, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. That's where it starts. The idea that God is enough starts with our relationship with Christ. And he says there, as he's leading into these thoughts, uh, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Of course, they had. That's who he's writing to, writing to, Christians. But we have to start there and ask the question, have you received Christ as your Savior? Because the rest of this sermon will not do you any good if you've not yet received Christ. What do we mean by that? I know I grew up in church, and sometimes I have this problem with using church terminology then maybe not, I think most of us or all of us do this morning, but, but maybe it's not as familiar to some. And I try to remind myself, Vince, not everybody uh, grew up like you. Uh, and so, so what do I mean by receiving Christ? The Bible says, and I know I've been through this a million times, we'll go through it quickly, but bear with me. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because of sin, which we've all committed, We've fallen short of the glory of God. My favorite sermon illustration, I've said it before, so I won't go through the whole thing, is jumping over the Grand Canyon. And uh, I heard it from evangelist John Van Gelderen first, and then I heard three or four other preachers steal it from him, and then I did as well. But uh, he talked about jumping over the Grand Canyon, and he would get kids, and he'd line them up on the platform, and he'd say, okay, uh, and this is back in the, in the early 90s. And so he would say, all right, uh, uh, this young man, 
uh, he's going to jump over the Grand Canyon. And so we want to help him out. So we're going to get him the best shoes that we can. So we got him this nice pairs of Nikes, which always frustrated me. I was like, Mr. Preacher, man, they're Nikes. Uh, but anyways, um, and so he would talk about these great Nikes that this kid had. And, and, uh, and then he would illustrate him running and jumping off the Grand Canyon, going about 10 feet through the air, and then falling uh, shish kebabbed on a pine tree to his death. Uh, and then uh, the next kid would come up, and this kid is going to have the, on the Reebok pumps, you know, the ones where you go on the tongues. And, uh, and so and that kid runs, and he jumps, and he goes 15 feet, and then he falls, and it's flat, uh, shish kebabbed on a pine tree at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And then he's got another kid, and he says, uh, you know what he needs is barefoot. Yeah, everybody knows you can run faster barefoot. So barefoot, he takes off running, he jumps over the Grand Canyon, and he falls to his death. And the idea is, is no, no person can jump over the Grand Canyon. Uh, they'll always fall short. It's a great illustration of what sin causes us as well. We fall short of God. We cannot attain God on our own. It's impossible because of sin. And then the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Uh, it's, it's eternal separation from God and a place that God created. He created two places, heaven and hell. And because of sin, we are destined for hell. And our sin causes that, that the payment, the wages of sin is death and hell. And then it goes on to say that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the opposite of hell. That's heaven. It says that God commended this love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We read about that in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, hell, but have everlasting life, heaven. Romans goes on to tell us that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. It is a, an understanding the realization, I'm a sinner, and I deserve hell, but Christ died for me. And I'm placing my faith in the grace that God offers to save me. And when I call on the name of Jesus, God save me. It really is that simple. People don't like simplicity sometimes when it comes to religion, but it's amazing how simple God makes things. But it's someone understanding I'm a sinner, I've done wrong. I deserve hell. I'm putting my dependence, my faith in God to save me. And I just ask him, God, save me. And he does. And that's where it starts, where he introduces this passage. Those that have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord. Have you received Christ Jesus, the Lord? Because over the next, I don't know, 20 minutes to three hours, I'm going to talk to you about Christ is enough. God is enough. He's enough to save you. And if you haven't yet received him, that's where it's got to start. And the great thing is, is you can do it today. You can do it in your seat. You can do it after the service. You can do it right now. No one's stopping you. There's no better time than right now to receive Christ Jesus. But let me spend the next several minutes telling you why you should. Because he is enough. All right. After you receive Christ, number two today, we need to know what to watch out for. What to watch out for. Look in verse number eight. The Bible says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. He says, Beware of bad philosophy. Bad philosophy has been around uh, pretty much since creation. 
Satan is an expert in bad philosophy. If you remember in Genesis, uh, Satan approaches Eve in the garden with bad philosophy. I think you can go before that and say Satan approached the angels in heaven with bad philosophy as well. But nonetheless, it's a good understanding, hey, if Satan's been doing this since the beginning of time, what do you think he's doing today? You ever heard the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Satan's been using bad philosophy and it's worked. It's worked for centuries. And he's continuing to do so today. He's, he's out there uh, uh, spewing it everywhere. Now with the internet, um, all kinds of different avenues to get it out there, you better believe Satan is active. Satan is technolo technologically savvy. He knows how to use phones in more ways than just bad philosophy. He knows how to use computers and tablets and uh, um, those things you put in your ear. Uh, earbuds, there we go. That's the word I was looking for. I was up late last night, I apologize. Um, and someone just sent me a message about that too. Um, never stops. Uh, bad philosophy, beware of it, because it's out there. I talk with people all the time, you know, because once they find out I'm a pastor, they start talking through things. And a lot of times I'll meet people, customers at work, and, and, uh, and if I have an opportunity to talk about church, to talk about being a pastor, to talk about God's Word, I'll do it. And I'll be in someone's home, and I'll look on their bookshelves. I do it every time. And I see what's on their bookshelves. It's amazing how many preachers I've met. And, uh, I'll, and I'll, I'll say, uh, are you a preacher? And they say, how do you know? I said, well, very few non-preachers have this many commentaries on their bookshelf. Um, or there's a book that stands out to me that just makes sense. They're probably some sort of a preacher one way or another. But anyways, a lot of these people that I meet, and I'll see the books, and I'll start talking to them, and whatever it may be, and the books that they have on their shelf, I, I would not put on my shelf. Now, some of you would say, do you put any books on your shelf? Not very many, that's true. But... Uh, there's a lot of bad philosophy out there. And you have to be able to decipher what's good and what's bad, and we do that through Scripture by holding it up to the Scripture. But you have to remember that although Christ was warning uh, the people here in Colossians about bad philosophy, uh, He still warns us about bad philosophy. It's still out there. We have to be aware of it. If you've received Christ, you better beware of bad philosophy. Then it says of man's traditions. There in verse number 8, uh, lest they spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and not after Christ. Man's traditions. You know, the Pharisees had a lot of traditions. You read about it all throughout the New Testament. The religious leaders had a lot of traditions. Some of them were Old Testament laws that at Christ's death and resurrection were no longer necessary. Some of them were things that they've added to it. You remember when Christ healed the man on the Sabbath and the religious leaders go, how dare you? Does it make any sense? Why would religious leaders be upset that a man who could not walk could now walk? Because Christ broke the rule. And it should show us how silly we can be as people to limit what Christ can do. Because this is the way we've always done it. 
So many churches are crippled by this is the way we've always done it. So many churches are crippled by this is how we do it. As a pastor, it's an area that I'm still growing in, but I've come a long way in my 10 years because there were things that I just wasn't comfortable with. And I wasn't comfortable because I had not seen it before. And then when I got challenged on it, well, why is it wrong? I realized it wasn't. I realized it was just man's tradition. That it wasn't unbiblical, I should say. That it wasn't against God. And there are still things that I don't think are sins that we won't do in the church. And I've always told you that. If I'm uncomfortable with it, we probably won't do it. (laughs) Because I believe that I answer for uh, what goes on. You answer for what you do, but I answer for what goes on. And, uh, And so... And so nonetheless, we have to be careful about men's traditions. The Catholics have a lot of traditions that aren't biblical. The Baptists. I'm not talking about the Southern Baptists. I'm talking about the Independent Baptists. I mean, the Southern Baptists do too, don't get me wrong. So do the American Baptists and the General Baptists and the Missionary Baptists and all the other Baptists out there. But we have traditions that we have to be careful of, that we're not holding up traditions as God's word when they're not God's word. We have to be so careful about it. You can name any religion, you can name any denomination, uh, you can name anything that claims to follow the Bible, and you can probably find traditions somewhere in it. Traditions aren't always bad, but we have to be careful that they don't become Bible, if they're not Bible. I call our church traditional. Our services are traditional, meaning that we're not contemporary, uh, that we're more old school in the way that we do things. And I'm careful when I use terminology, because when people ask you, what kind of church are you? I say independent Baptist. And then they usually dive on to something else uh, from there. Not everybody understands what an independent Baptist is. It is that we're Baptist by doctrine and we're independent. We don't answer to anybody but God. We are us. The great thing about being independent is you're independent. Um, It's a wonderful thing. But the independent Baptists have a strong, strong, strong history of traditions that have blinded people at the fault of preachers who preach traditions instead of Bible. I don't believe we do that here. We definitely try not to. The fact of the matter is, as God says, be careful for man's traditions. This isn't the only spot in Scripture he talks about it, by the way. Uh, Christ, as he's walking through life, talks about it with the religious leaders, the traditions of your fathers. But here he sits here and he says, and he says, beware. Beware of bad philosophy. Beware of traditions of men, of rudiments of the world, things that creep in that are not biblical, that are not godly, that are not uh, 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 what God said. And they're after those things instead of, as it closes verse number 8, and not after Christ. It's amazing when we gear our life around what Christ says as opposed to what the pastor says. A lot of people have to make some changes. I want to be very careful, and I wasn't sure that I was going to go here with this this morning. 
but it's a, it's an easy example. So I will. I grew up in a ministry that had rules in place. And I'm not against rules. Rules are fine in organizations and things like that. And they had certain rules that don't make sense, <laughs> to put it as carefully as I can. I love them to death. We still send our kids there every summer. But they have rules, and the rules, and they say the rule, and they have pull out a Bible verse and say this is why, and, and whatever from there. And I disagree. I don't think that's what the Bible says. Now, I see the verse, I understand the verse, and I just think it's, I just think they're wrong. Does it affect eternity? It does not. Is it something I'm aware of and I keep an eye on? It is. Growing up as a young child, my parents taught me we obey the rules. If you're a parent, it's a good thing to teach your kids. <laughs> we obey the rules. And it wasn't until I became older, a teenager, really, that my parents began to explain to me, these are the rules. We don't agree with the rules, but we obey the rules because we're here. We don't think that they're bad because they have the rules, and we don't think these people are bad because they don't follow those same rules. But because we are here, we obey the rules. It's that simple. We don't make a big deal about it. We don't fuss about it. We don't complain about it. It is what it is. But when you leave, do what's right. Because what I was taught was this is more of a tradition than it is a Bible thing. And I think that if you go back decades, you can see why the rule was established. But then as the years went on and culture shifted and things like that, it just wasn't, it wasn't the same thing anymore. And that, and that happens throughout time. Um, I'll use another example. I didn't get specific on that one. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but it doesn't, it's not that big a deal. Um, another one's the movie theater, right? We talked about this before. Movie theater. I, I grew up, movie theaters are bad. Movie theaters are bad. Well, why? Because movie theaters are bad. Uh, okay, um, so but the movie I just watched in my house, if I watched it in the movie theater, it would have been wrong, but since I watched it in my house, it was okay. Yeah, why? I, because, because when the rule was established, the movie theater was well known as a place to go neck with your girlfriend, whatever that means. Right? I'm sitting here as an eight-year-old boy going... What in the world is necking? <laughs> I've seen the geese, but I mean, I, I don't. <sighs> there was a time in culture where going to the movie theater, the association was, you're not going to watch a movie. And so I can understand preachers saying, don't go to the movie theaters. But then... We got a little less weird at the movie theater when we go to watch movies. The movie's not bad. What's wrong with going to the movie theater? There's nothing wrong with it. That's my opinion. You can have a different one if you'd like. But it became, it was tradition. Wise tradition at one point in history that because of societal changes wasn't as necessary. And again, you can disagree with me, and that's my opinion, and I apologize for garnering so much opinion today. My point is, we have to be careful with traditions. Because some people grow up in that tradition-based 
society or church, and then they grow up to be preachers and they still preach it and they don't know why they're preaching it. And I know that I'm the only so-called preacher this morning in the room at the moment, but understand that the same thing happens. We sit in a church and then we grow up and then we start to think, well, I always heard this is bad, so this is bad. And then you, you start judging people and in, in, in your family or, or friends or whatever. I can't believe they do that. People at other churches, I can't believe they do that. And then we're sitting there and then if you really start thinking about it, you go, I don't think it matters. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. What have we always said? Pray about it. And if God's good with it, go for it. And if God tells you not to do it, then don't do it. If God tells you not to go to movie theaters, then don't go to movie theaters just because the pastor says it's okay. I'm not the one that sets the standard in your life. God is. There are things that my family refrains from that maybe your family does. We don't judge you for it, but we know for our family it's wrong, so we don't do it. We have to be careful that we don't make tradition in the Bible. We just preach what the Bible preaches. Uh, obey what the Bible says to obey and go from there because the Bible warns us about man's traditions because what happens is we start going towards man's traditions instead of towards Christ. After the traditions of men instead of after Christ as it's worded here in verse number 8. The things of the world are not of Christ Sometimes the things that we view as good are not godly. You understand the difference? It may not be bad, but it's also not godly. Um, the good things of the world can still pull us away from God. Does that make sense? There are things in the world that are not bad uh, in and of themselves, but they pull us away from God. I don't believe drums are of the devil. Now, we're not going to have drums at our church. But I'm not one of the people, and I, I, there may be people that disagree with me in here today on this, but uh, I'm not one of the people who say if there's drums in a song, then it's immediately an evil song. Uh, but I also am well aware, because I loved music growing up, that there are certain styles of music that draw my mind away from Christ even if it's godly words within the song. I won't name the bands, but there are certain, certain styles of Christian music that if I hear it, it makes me think of a certain band that I listened to growing up. Because it sounds the same. I think we have to be careful. I think we have to be wise. Now, we've got a guy coming uh, in April. He's going to do the Easter concert for us. Um, he has uh, a much more educated view on music and how it affects the heart and things like that. He won't be preaching on it. He's doing concert, but uh, he preaches. Anyways, be careful. Beware. Be wise of things that are after man, after the world, and not after Christ. Where does it start? Have you received Christ? After you've received Christ, you have to watch out for bad philosophy for man's traditions, for the things of the world. Number three, we need to understand what Christ did. What Christ did. Uh, verse number 13. The Bible says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Why? And we read through this whole passage. But remember, in the Old Testament, and the Jews and circumcision was a big, big deal. 
Then the Gentiles started uh, receiving the word of God, and the Jews were, were, were uh, guilty of, again, the tradition. And they said, well, if you're a Gentile and you're truly going to follow Christ, you have to do the same things that we do. And then God began to teach, Christ began to teach, and his men began to teach. No, it's a, it's a heart, not a physical thing, it's a heart thing. All right, so when it says here, uh, the uncircumcision of your flesh, uh, it's, it's still re- talking about the heart. And he says uh, that you have been, that he hath, or hath he, quickened together with him, uh, having forgiven you all your trespasses. It says there in verse number, I'm kind of jumping out of order, I apologize. Verse 11, and whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Salvation. It's not a physical act, it's, an, it's a spiritual act. Okay, I hope we understand that. Uh, Verse 14, we're still talking about what Christ has done. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He says there in verse 13, you were dead, but he quickened you. You were guilty, verse 14, but he erased your sins. He says, you were sinful, the end of verse 14, but he nailed it to his cross. What did Christ do? He took something that was dead and he made it alive. Me. Took something that was dead and he made it alive. I was dead in my sins. The wages of sin is death. But he quickened me. He made me alive. He revived me. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I was guilty. There is none righteous, no, not one. But he erased my sins, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against me. I'm telling you, if you just think about that for a second. Blotted it out. Everything that was against me. It had been written down, it had been kept track of, it had been uh, the proof, the evidence that I was guilty. He erased it. No one can find it anymore. There's no evidence of my guilt. How did that happen? He nailed it to his cross. I told you the example before, but uh, they have those little spikes that sit next to the cash registers at some restaurants. And when they, you pay, they take your receipt and they stick it over the spike. They usually still have it at uh, Mexican restaurants and uh, Denny's. Uh, and you, you slide it over and that, that needle or spike poking through the, uh, the receipt is proof that it's been paid. So if someone picks up that receipt and they go, have you paid this yet? If there's a hole through it, they know that you have. They usually leave it on the spike, so you can't take your receipt, poke a hole through it, and say, oh, I've already paid. Uh, Anyways, that's the picture that's given for us. The nailing on the cross, the piercing of my receipt, the proof that it's been paid for. I was guilty, but my punishment has been paid because Jesus Christ, and look at the wording, nailed it to his cross. The one in the middle. The cross is on the sides, That's where I was supposed to be. That's where I was supposed to be nailed. But Christ took my guilt and my sin 
and he nailed it to his cross. So has he enough? We see number one, where it starts. We see what we have to watch out for. We see what Christ did, but why God is enough? Look in verse number nine. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The three in one. Boy, I tell you what, I can't explain it to you. I mean, I can tell you what the Bible says, and, and, uh, and you can read it for yourself. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't, I don't comprehend how it works. But I know this, that Jesus Christ, who died for me and was buried and rose again from the dead, was not just someone's son. He was not just some other guy. And he was not some great teacher. And he was not just a prophet or anything like that. He had all three forms of God within him. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And then it says there in verse number 15, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Why is he enough? Well, because he's God and because he's triumphed. Find me a person that has triumphed over everything. You won't be able to find them. But if you look at Jesus, he has triumphed. And that's why he's enough. That's why he's everything that I need and the only thing that I need. It's amazing when we look at who God is, and I've talked a lot about this, about the understanding of, of knowing who God is. Be, be reminded of who God is. Study who God is, because when you know who God is, then everything else will make a lot more sense. Then following Him will be so much easier. Then trusting Him will be so much easier. If you just know who He is, and He's a triumphant God, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He says there in verse uh, number 8, Beware of the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world. And in John he says, I've overcome the world. Here in Colossians, he says, triumph over them. Why is he enough? Because he's God. And he's triumphant. So we close this morning with this question. What should we do now? Verse number six. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. If he's enough, what now? Walk ye in him. Do you love God? Follow him. The Bible says if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. So there's proof. <laughs> oh, proof. 
there's a lot of people in this world you could ask, do you love God? And they say yes. And you could say, no, no, you don't. They go, tell me if I love God. Oh, I'm not. You're telling me you don't. Now listen, that's not a nice thing to do. Don't do that to people. Do it in the mirror. Do you love God? Yes. Do you keep his commandments? Most of the time, good. I, I should do better. We got a group of good people today. The bad people stayed home. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Our church has good people in it. Yeah, different paths, sure, some things that regrets and things like that. Sure. But we're not talking about the past. We're talking about today. If you've received Christ, walk ye in Him. Obey. Follow. Do what He says. We've talked about it a lot already this month, and I promise you'll hear about it more throughout the year. The little things. It's where it starts. The little things. Sometimes we get caught up in the, you know, the, the, these, the Pentecosts. 3,000 people saved. That's what we want to see. Great. It's not going to happen until we do the little things. It's, it's not going to happen just on Sundays and Wednesdays. It's going to happen when Sunday through Sunday we're walking in God. We're doing what God tells us to do. We're following Him. We're loving God with all our heart. We're loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. We're praying for our brothers and sisters. We're sending missionaries. We're praying for our political leaders. We're giving. Compassionate. Faithful. Everything that you want to see accomplished in this church, I don't know what it is, I know what it is for me, but everything that you want to see accomplished in this church, I can promise you it won't happen until we walk in Him. And I've seen the faithfulness of a few do mighty things. But you know what I want to see is the faithfulness of many. Because if the faithfulness of a few can do such great things, I can only imagine what all of us together following Christ will accomplish. So let's strive for it. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. You trusted Christ as your Savior? All right. Let's follow him. Lord, thank you. Thank you for saving us. And Lord, I pray that today, if there's someone here who's never received you, I pray that today they would. I pray that even now, as I'm praying, they are going to you and calling on you to be saved. God, I pray for Christians this morning. I pray that we would walk in you. 
I pray that we would understand the warnings to beware of, the bad philosophy and the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world. But Lord, I pray that we'll understand and remember that, Lord, when we were dead, you made us alive. That when we were guilty, you erased the proof. And Lord, that my sins were nailed to your cross. And because you are God and because you have triumphed, Lord, we know you are enough. So now, help us to walk in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to ask two questions this morning. Question number one. If you're here this morning, you say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I haven't received Christ. And you would say, don't embarrass me, don't call me out, or anything like that, but you can pray for me, because I would just like to know so I can pray for you. Is there anybody here this morning that would say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I've not received Christ. If I were to die today, I don't know for sure that I would go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that today? And by testimony of no hands being raised this morning, I want to ask you this, Christian. Are you walking in Him? Beware of bad philosophy and traditions and rudiments of the world. Understand what Christ did for you. He is enough, so now walk in Him. If there is an area this morning in your life that God spoke to you about that you are not walking the way that you should, and this morning you're, you're taking care of that with the Lord, but you would say, Preacher, would you pray for me as I deal with those things? Anybody like that this morning? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Praying for you, thank you. Anybody else? Would you stand with me, please? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. The piano is going to play. The invitation's open. He is enough. You can come to the front and kneel if you'd like. You can stay at your seat as well. But if God spoke to you about something today, make sure you take care of it. Give it to Him. Ask for forgiveness if it's needed. And commit to God. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to walk in you.